Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministry.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is preacher David Mason, who preaches at two churches. Elmer, Missouri Christian Church and First Christian Church in Clarence, Missouri. And I should add, also has another full-time secular job. Uh, I preach Sunday morning at David's Invitation at Clarence, and then we started a revival on Sunday evening, uh, the week of this recording. David, you were telling me Sunday that you thought we probably met 14 years ago, way back in 2008, during a rock-solid revival at Clarence, well before you were preaching uh, here at Clarence, but we've never spent any time together until this week. So, so far, I, I've learned that you are a very busy, dedicated Christian man and father, and I'm interested, really interested to learn more about you. So, Brother David, tell us your story. Where did my story begin? I actually started in Moberly. Uh, that's where, where I was born at. Mom and Dad both uh, graduated from uh, Central Christian College, the Bible in Moberly. In Moberly, Missouri. Yep. And uh, then he had a ministry over in Lawrence, Kansas. We stayed there for a while and moved up to Iowa. And, and then uh, for junior high and, and the high school years, uh, went to school up in, uh, in Wisconsin. Now, where were you at in Iowa? Uh, you know where Grinnell is? Yes, I do. Okay. It's a little town uh, over there by Brooklyn is actually the town. Okay. So right on 63, little tiny town, cemetery, top of the hill. I've, I've just done a couple of revivals in southwest Iowa. And at this point, I can't even remember the name of the little town. So I've been through it a few times, so I know we have listeners in Iowa. And, and then what? where did you go after that, you said? We went up to Stanley, Wisconsin. Now, where is that at in the state of Wisconsin? Okay. Well, if you were to get on Highway 29 out of Eau Claire, Chippewa Falls, and okay. follow that out in about the middle of the state, and that's about where that lands. Wow. So, I see, now I've already learned something new. I did not know your, your father was a preacher. Uh, I know your your mother seems to really understand scripture and the approach to the, to the approach to the pulpit. If I can put it, because she's playing piano for us this weekend, I had a really nice conversation after I met her last evening, and and I was very impressed with her uh, understanding of scripture and church and everything. Well, she she enjoyed playing too. That's uh, the revival setting was. Uh, I asked her if she had done that before, and she said she hadn't. So. Oh really? Yeah. So this was a new experience. I think she's enjoying it. Well, I really enjoy uh, having her play for. Her. She's a good pianist. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to now. You have to go to. We'll get all. We'll get back to where you started, but you, you have to go pick her up because you live in Clarence, which is how far east of Elmer? Oh, Clarence. It's about fifty miles. It'd be. Okay. Seems to me, uh, I, I hit the clicker and. It took me 100 miles uh, round trip from the uh, time I left uh, Clarence to picking her up and back to Elmer and then t- made the trip up and around and oh, got back home. So uh, it, it's probably, yeah, you know, that little jog between Elmer and Ethel is the, <laughs> the one that I really shouldn't count. So I can't oh. remember how many miles that is now. Well, all right, let's get back now. Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, Dad was preaching a little country church. It's still there. It's doing very well. Uh, and uh, Maple Grove, uh, it, 
think it's community church. It was a brethren church when he uh, started preaching there, which was interesting in itself. Yeah. Uh, but they're more of a Christian church, uh, independent Christian church uh, atmosphere in that. So I uh, really enjoyed that church. I enjoy going back and visiting them. There's some good people up there. Uh, and how many years were you there? Well, if you can think back that far. <laughs> I don't know if I can think back that far. I don't know if it was 10 or not. But anyway, that's uh, when I graduated high school, that's uh, that's where I left and came down here to Bible College. And so you went to Moberly as well? Yes. To yep. Central. Yeah, okay. that was kind of interesting. Um, well, I got baptized at the Christian camp where uh, Lake Holcomb Christian Assembly is where I was baptized at as a high schooler. Okay. But then uh, as graduation started sneaking up, uh, Dad, Dad, he, he said, "Well, I'll pay for one year of Bible college," and uh, I was really looking toward the military service or something along those lines. And and uh, finally, the day they came that uh, a choice had to be made, and and the next day I was either going to go with Marine Corps or I was going to uh, go to Bible college. And uh, my uh, mother got her uncle on the on the line and. He, he had been in the Marine Corps. He'd been over in Vietnam and seen the guys crawling around in Agent Orange and all of that. Yeah. And uh, so uh, after t- speaking with him, I decided to go to Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, Bible college, actually being a preacher sometimes uh, in a different way is as tough as being a Marine. <laughs> I don't know and, about and, that. But and, 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 and in, a, in a spiritual manner, not, 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 in a phys- yeah. not in a physical manner. But uh, I... I always appreciate the Marines. I appreciate anybody who's served in the service of our country. I uh, always want to thank them when I see them uh, because uh, we wouldn't have the freedom we've got without those guys. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of guys have done a lot of, and sacrificed an awful lot. Right. Uh, not, not only in, in their life, but also in the <clears throat> ramifications afterwards. Yeah. So. Uh, so you went off to Moberly? Oh, yeah. Went off there and... and uh, was uh, on camp team for a couple of years, and that's probably why uh, I even stuck around. I finished that one year out. Not, I'm not a great student by any means. I struggle with the different things. There's a, oh, one day is cracked me up. The first day of classes, and uh, Bill Walton was the professor at the time, and and uh, anyway, he had us write out something. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember this is. And my handwriting and my spelling is terrible. Well, my handwriting's bad, and my spelling's worse. And uh, anyway, he uh, he uh, collected all the papers, and before the class ended, he said, Mr. Mason, I'd like you to come up front when the bell rings. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. I flunked out of college on the first day and <laughs> before he even gets started. <clears throat> and uh, I think it was the first hour, if I remember right. But anyway, I called up there and, and went up there after class, and he, he had my paper sitting there, and I knew it was bad. <laughs> and uh, he goes... You don't happen to have dyslexia, do you? I go, well, as a matter of fact, I do. Ah. I kind of figured as much. And uh, ever since then, he was my favorite professor going through there. He uh, helped me out quite a bit, and he's gone now. I hate to see that. but uh, So he understood your your Yeah, right from the get-go. Situation. It's not something that you know I advertised or talked about at all. And, and, uh, it, and you know, it's... Still took a lot of years for me to get comfortable with that. Right. So, uh, along with the eye, I got that eye extropia goes off to the side. I struggled with oh. that a lot of years. Uh, just, uh, and you know, as age has progressed, the less I worry about it. 
Yeah. So, yeah. But they had a surgery once upon a time to try to correct it, and they did a good job, but they didn't want to make it perfect. Said that if I, uh, they corrected my perfect, that I'd have binocular vision, and that with binocular vision, you get depth perception. And oh. I was like, I thought I had depth perception. And my doctors, no, you don't. You've never had depth perception. Really? And so I well, how do I even drive or, you know, you know, operate a light switch or anything? He said, you've adapted very well. He said that you're just one of those people that has adapted well to, uh, to uh, not having any depth perception. You know, that makes me think about some, some men think, I couldn't be a preacher because I've got this problem or that problem. Some with dyslexia. And, 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 uh, and I've, uh, I was talking to your mother last night, did not know you, you have it, and was explaining to her that this is a disability that I've had to deal with all my life. Oh, really? And... and uh, why I have to put things in order with my sermons. We were talking about that because uh, she was asking, when do I start playing the piano? And I was showing her a point in the sermon, and she saw how it was written out. And, and I, I said, well, I, I have to. My ducks have to be in row, in row quacking in sequence, or I can't I can't function because that's the only way I, can, I got through school, the only way I can do anything. So uh, if I run across guys that have just uh, have things that are far more... Uh, I don't really like to use the word debilitating because really not, but they have situations, physical or or uh, learning disability type things that would hold them back that have become tremendous preachers. And uh, I want to say to our listeners, because we have some young people who listen who say that these programs have influenced them in that direction, that uh, God takes the people that, that uh, other people say couldn't do it, and he does it with them, you know? Well, I mean, he's got a history of that. Look at Gideon. I mean, he's yeah. the smallest, the youngest of tribes, and small, at least in the tribes, the youngest in the family. And scared. Yeah, scared. <laughs> Who would have thought that, you know, well, shoot, even David's dad didn't think he was going to be uh, worthy to be king, and he's brought all his other sons and left him out in the field. That's right. That's right. And uh, then, then they tried to dress David in all that armor. Yeah. And <laughs> he probably must have looked a sight. And, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I've got God and a few stones here, and and we can go, we can go take this on. And, and um, there is such a need for preachers, and for young people to think about preaching. And uh, uh, I'm always looking at young people and pointing to them, and saying, "You, you might be a preacher," and because a lot of most young people don't even have that put in their heart. They, nobody's even said to them, "Have you ever thought of this?" Uh, for whatever reason, used to they did. But we need to do that more, I think. Sure. And uh, but it, so you did you end up going four? You went four years. Yeah, to actually, and it, it took me five to get through. All right. Well, that means so, you're just that much smarter. Man, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I did get married in that. Oh. And uh, we we got married. Uh, she was actually going to go to Lincoln and met me, and then she decided to go to Central. Well, did she meet you? And uh, uh, she had come to the campus there at Moberly, and oh, and, uh, she. Uh, uh, just oh, to, to visit the camp? Yeah, well, she was helping drop off a friend of hers. And, oh, and, and so, I see how that works out. Yeah, yeah, so anyway. So where's, where was her home? Over in Macomb, Illinois. Okay. And so her dad was a hog farmer over there. And, uh-huh. and uh, it, ironically, he was a World War II vet. Uh, and uh, he was considerably older when he got married and started having children. So, so and, and her name? Uh, Anne. Anne, Anne yeah. 
So yeah, I didn't want you to talk about her, you know. I don't, oh, sure. I, that yeah. you say the. I know who her is. You know, yeah, I know, and, and and I know who her is. But the the old joke Beth always says the the cemetery the tomb is going to say Tom Weaver evangelist, and when she gets buried, it's going to say his wife because. Well, it's funny. <laughs> When we first got married, and then we lived in Higby and Moberly there, respectively, and everybody knew her as Dave's wife. Well, see, I, I joined the Navy Reserves and then got deployed. And uh, events happened, and we ended up moving to Clarence, or she moved to Clarence, actually. And so when I got back from deployment, uh, people knew me as Ann's husband. Oh. So it, it switched roles for a long time, and I think that's still a, a well, I'm just Ann's husband. Yeah. <laughs> So from, uh, for what what year did you marry and while you are in college? 95. 95, and, and what year of college would that have been for you? That would have been my junior or senior, yeah, no, would have been my going into my senior year. Going into your senior year. Yeah. You got married in 95, so. I don't so. know if I, 95, get me messed up, I'm thinking. I would have been a junior because I took that fifth year because I oh, graduated okay. in 97, so. All right, so, so 95, this is 22, so that makes 20. So is that 27 years? Am I got that right? Well, I'm going to trust your man. Uh, oh, well, that's not the way to go, Dave. <laughs> that is not the way to go. If your wife's listening, she's going to say, oh, you didn't know. No, uh -huh. uh, no, no she'll, she'll, she'll admit. She'll admit. Yeah, no, he didn't know. <laughs> no. Okay. So, um, got married and graduated. Then what did you do after graduation? Well, that's uh, was preaching at a little church outside of Cairo, a little church on Gravel Road Cemetery. And um, we were driving by a prison, and and Ann said, "Well, well, I was working at a car dealership as a, in the parts department, and just got a big raise to five and a quarter. Had gone home, found out minimum wage had gone up to five and a quarter. So oh. <laughs> I got it five months early. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, she said, there's that prison out there. I hear they're hiring, and I was like, yeah, but that's a prison. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I went ahead and filled out an application and." Ended up spending 15 years out there. Uh, uh, Were you still at that church? Stayed at that church for a while and uh, wanted to become a uh, chaplain at one time. And, uh, well, I still would have liked to liked to do that. But anyway, I started going to, took some graduate classes over at uh, Lincoln. And it was interesting. I went over there and raised my GPA. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, how's that? And that's Lincoln, uh, Illinois. Lincoln yeah, Christian yeah, Col uh, yeah. College and Seminary. Yeah. Yep, right. Seminary. Um, never understood that it went to a higher form of learning. I don't know. And you got better grades. I, <laughs> somebody told me that it's probably because I was actually interested in what I was doing. Well, that, more there's so. a lot of truth to that. So, there really is, yeah. But anyway, the church I was preaching at the time, there was another fellow in there, and he was going to the Bible college. And uh, he had pulled me aside and said, I want to start preaching. And I told him, I said, you know, between working full-time and preaching, going to school full-time, uh, I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, why don't we talk to the elders and see if you can, you know, we'll just switch. I'll sit down in the pew, and then then, uh, then uh, you can take over in the pulpit. Right. And uh, that, that's exactly what happened. But I didn't sit in the pew very long when they were short of supply preachers, and they found out I wasn't preaching, and the college called up and said, we've got some churches that need a... Supply preacher. Well, I enjoy supply preaching, bouncing around all these churches. I really enjoyed that. Get to meet a lot of people and see different types of worship. And Oh, yeah. And, no, it was yeah, great. Yeah, That's and, one of the things I like about revivals. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that very easily. Yeah. So 
I started, well, I preached at one church, well, in Elmer. That was one of the churches preached at. And then it turned around and went to a church in Hannibal. And uh, that was back to Elmer, back to Hannibal. And the Hannibal church had asked me, we said, well, would you move over here and preach here? And, you know, you could, there's a prison over here. You could work there. And uh, I was like, we had just bought our house in Higby. And it's like, well, we really can't do that. And then next time I went back to Elmer, then I went to Elmer, then I went to Elmer. And then uh, the Baptist church and the Christian church had a sinkspiration. And so the, uh, uh, they asked us if we'd come over to that sinkspiration that night. And so we did. And uh, that's when we were introduced as the, this is our new preacher and his family. So, so you didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've been there ever since. And uh, there's some really good people, good community. And uh, that would have been, you remember what year that was? No, I couldn't tell you what year that was. Um, it probably... Uh, your wife told me, Ann said the other night that it was about 20 years you've been yeah. over there. Yeah, so it would have been about 2000, 2002. I'm trying to remember which kid came along about that time. So, so. All right, which kid came along? Now, that's something that people may think... Well, you've only got one or two, but you've got a few more than that. Tell us about your family. Yeah, we have seven all together. Oh. Uh, we've got Brandon, and he he was uh, he he works down at Walmart now. It does real good down there. And how old is Brandon? And he is yeah. putting you on the spot on this, yeah. aren't I? <laughs> yeah, he's about twenty-five. Yeah, I think he's actually twenty-four. And then uh, long came Bryce. And uh, he's in the Air Force. He, he's doing real good up there. Um, and then uh, we have Hannah and Lily. We got our two girls, and that's we had our two boys and two girls, and and that was good. And uh, in between, well, after all four of them were born, that's when I get deployed, and we come back, and uh, we were here about a year or so, and then found out that we're going to have number five. And number mm -hmm. five was all fine and dandy, and and it was like okay. And uh, anyway, Ann started having some problems, so we took her down to Columbia to the hospital down there. And, uh, of course, they didn't want the four little ones because they were all pretty small at that time. And uh, so uh, we, we left her there at the emergency room and did something practical and went to a motorcycle shop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we were looking over that motorcycle shop. Well, they decided to go ahead and do an ultrasound, and uh, they... Uh, uh, they, they wheeled her in there or put her in there, whatever. They were doing the ultrasound. The more uh, they were talking to her, the more they realized that Ann didn't know there was more than one in there. Ah. Uh, now, she had had, oh, been to the doctor where they did the heart, trying to find the heart rate. Right. Well, they always had a hard time finding the heart rate, but every time they did, it was a different heart rate. And she didn't uh. even ask, that, is it possible there's more than one to, you know, for the different heart rates. Right. And they're like, no, as hard as it is to find a heart rate, there's there's there, there's only one in there. So anyway, they're having this conversation, and this gal doing that ultrasound realizes that Anne doesn't have any idea there's more than one in there, and so she's like, I've got to step out. Now, I know those rooms aren't very big at all, but <laughs> when they, they, she came back, she came back with nurses and doctors, and the room filled up. And uh, so she's starting to freak her out a little bit, what's sure. going on. And uh, the gal sits down, and she's running her machine, and she goes, well, there's number one, and there's number two. And she goes, oh, twins. And then she goes, well, there's number three. Oh. Oh, my goodness. How was Ann feeling about about that time? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
was very much in shock. <laughs> uh, it was funny because she called me up and I just sat down on a motorcycle and I was looking at the price of that and I was like, you know, this is something we could do. Not anymore. Yeah, that's in <laughs> about that time a salesman spotted me and realized that he had had one and and that's when the phone rang and she told me what was going on and she hung up and nurse. Well, what did he say? He said okay. And so I got off the motorcycle and started across the floor. Said, Kids, we got to go. And the salesman, looking very puzzled, said, "Can I help you?" I said, "Not no more." <laughs> <laughs> Out the door we went. Uh, but those those fellas have been a uh, they're oh the heaviest. Well, let's see. Skyler was about a pound and a half. Bo was two pounds two ounces. And Max was three pounds, three ounces, if I remember right. Three, three and a half, something like that. Right. Itty bitty little fellas. Yeah. And uh, they've not had any complications. The one time that they did is, uh, and it was even before they were even a year old, uh, they went down there for a checkup, and they, then they sent us to a specialist. And what the specialist is interesting, this guy, he goes, I've been doing this for 20 years. He goes, I, and I, this is my specialty. This is what I do. And he said, what has happened, because their ears were lopsided, is one, uh. one of the biggest signs, but he said, what has happened is the plates in their skulls have all fused together, and they shouldn't have done that. They should be free-floating so that the brain can expand and, and grow that way. And he goes, that, that's, that's what's happened to all three of these. He goes, but what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and run them through, I can't remember, the CAT scan or whatever it is uh, to, to take a look at it, just verify that. He goes, but I tell you what, I, I'm not, you know, pulling any punches. I'm confident that's exactly what's happened. Of course, you know, to us, that was brain surgery for us. Right. Well, and, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Sure. Because what they're going to have to do is go in there and break those plates apart. And uh, it's like, you know, I, I'm still just horrified at the thought of it. And uh, anyway, so we came in and uh, they, they took a look at their, their skulls and uh, and then uh, he came back in and he put the pictures of the skulls up on the, you know, the little light thing that shines through it. And uh, this is, we had gone home before they did that. And we called mom and dad and everyone we knew. And we put the prayer out there and everything like that. And, uh, you know, we were pretty pretty, pretty distraught over sure. the thought, you know, what was going to be happening. And uh, he goes, you know, I told you I've been doing this for 20 years. He goes, I was very confident. That all those plates were, were, uh, you know, together. Right. You know, had, had fused together. together. Yeah. Fused together. And he goes, but they're not. They're not a single one of them fused together. So what we're going to have to do is we just need to put these helmets on, and they had to wear helmets for like four months to just realign the plates so they put them in the right spot. But not a single one of them were fused together. Wow. Yeah. No, no. But that's not to say they weren't fused together before the prayer started. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, sure. I'm trusting this doctor knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that those plates were fused together. I just really, you know, why God doesn't do it to every single one, you know, prayer that we have out there, I don't know. But in this particular case, we've got three boys that, you know, they had to wear a helmet for a few months to realign everything. Uh, and they had, they don't have any flaws whatsoever. I mean... They're out there. Two of them are running track. One of them's just as fast as they are. Yeah. Uh, the third one, <clears throat> and uh, they they've grown. They're healthy. They're bright. They no, you know, no defects whatsoever. And they're twelve now. 
They are 13. Okay, they're 13. Yeah, they yep. Yep. turned 13 last fall. Yes. That's, that's yeah, yep. that's, yep. we discussed that yesterday. That's right. So, and, and uh, handsome boys too, handsome right. boys and, and, and polite, just ni- nice young men and all your kids. Well, we've only met five of them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've only met five of them and very, very impressive family and, and uh, very, very good kids. Uh, the, the girls were a little overwhelmed, I think, weren't they? Having all those boys around, but they said they could hold their own. They told Beth they could hold their own with those boys. So. Oh, they can, and they do. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, that's uh, Brandon was a huge help too. He helped with those, especially when they're younger. He's a huge help uh, in uh, taking care of them. So he even he was something else. Correct me up. He uh, spent one year. Home, we homeschooled him basically. I should say we. His mom homeschooled him more than anybody. Uh, yeah. But he wanted to go back to school after that year. But he, that year he stayed in home while both myself and Ann were working, and he took care of them boys. And I was a little worried, worried about him going back to school. And I was like, well, you know, he, he's going to be behind. You know, how how good we did we do? And this was going into his freshman year in high school. And uh, so he went in there and he tested to see where he was at, and. Uh, he he tested uh, in the second semester of his freshman year, so yeah. he did, didn't hurt him at all. He did very well. So, uh, well, and and then one of the uh, triplets. Well, I, I was noticing yesterday that uh, at lunch that one triplets knocked over his his drink, and one of the girls jumped up to help make sure. I mean. I mean, he's 13, but she still, he's a little brother. He's one of the trips, and she was up there making sure that, you know, helped to clean everything up, you know. And he was up too, but I just thought that's that's the way, that, you know, you've got a big family here, and, and they're used to helping take care of their, their younger brothers. Well, Hannah has just got a really great, oh, personality, spirit. Yeah. Uh, very kind and conscious, and uh, that's... And these kids ask me questions, and sometimes I have to pause and say, I've got to come back with an answer on that. I don't have an answer right now. Let me get back on it. And, uh, and uh, she's working up there at the uh, Christian school, uh, working with the, um, with the uh, oh, daycare. Okay. And, uh, she's been doing that for... And how old years. is she? She just turned 20. All right, Hannah's so, 20, and then the other daughter is... She's a junior in high school. Her she name? Lily. Now, see, if Beth was in here, she she had them all down yesterday because Beth's good with that, but I'm, she named them all. She probably could have told me all the ages, and I wouldn't even have to ask you, but... Oh, I wish I could be like that. I just I, can't name... That's not terrible. me either. Yeah. You know, we used to stand at the back door of church, and Beth knew every kid and every name, and, and, and they'd be coming out, and they'd... Uh, I was not a youth leader, but but the kids I always related well with kids. But Beth would lean over and say, "This one's Johnny. That one's uh, the one back there. That's Susan, and that's that new family." And she'd give me the names because she was just really good at that. That's and, you know, Anne's really good with it, and and it's important. People like to like to know that they're known, or you know. Yeah, right. And I want to know them. It's just that's yeah, a, that's a problem for me. And and uh, after after a while, if I spent some time with you, I've been in your home and shared Christ with you, you know, then I'm getting your name, you know. But just when you're there first thing, uh, I even at churches had uh, uh, different men who would meet me at the back door, and they we already have our 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 guest what we call our guest cards filled out, you know. We made sure we got that done, and they they knew where they came from, and they would 
they would look at it and, and they they pass it to me so I could see the card and then I'd slip it in my pocket and say hello Mr. and Mrs. Johnson or whatever you know and could I come visit you this week and we'd set a time and somebody would be over there writing things down for me uh -huh. you know because uh, people know that that's that's a weak area of mine I, you know once I get it in my head I'm coming to your house at seven o'clock. I can remember one time I forgot, and I, to this day it bothers me. I was supposed to be in a young couple's home, and just totally, just totally forgot. And uh, and that was a long time ago, which means I'm a lot worse now. <laughs> so, uh, so your first church was out in the country on a gravel road, and and that's why you were still at the college. Yeah, started that while I was still at the college. And you were still there after you graduated. You kept yeah, and, kept and stayed there. Worked. And that was a uh, that was probably about? two three years. I don't know, if, probably about two years. I think I was there roughly. I have to go back and look at the dates. So all your churches have been in in Missouri. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, for our listeners, because we have them from like uh, from everywhere, we get from Austria and Australia and France and everywhere. Uh, Missouri, there's a lot of country, a, a lot of uh, rural. Areas. Very, very rural. Very rural. And there are an awful lot of the independent Christian churches, churches of Christ in the state of Missouri. So uh, there, there's an awful lot of opportunity to, to be in. And so this one I, I'm taking was a, a fairly small country church, yeah. tenants yeah. wise. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wasn't a lot. I can't even remember how many were there. I'm trying to remember. There's, I'd say everywhere, I'd think probably close to 10. I can think of 10 people just now. Right. And yeah. uh, some of them are still there and some of them have, uh, have moved on. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the people think, well, why in the world would you go to a church with 10 people? And I think for one thing is is when we're starting out, we're learning. And that's a good good way to learn. But also those those 10 people, uh, they need they need to hear the word of God. And if there's an opportunity, we need to be, we and we can go and do it, and we have the ability. And you were, you you apparently are a very good, uh, like we say, tent maker preacher, you, working like Paul made tents, and you you work a secular job, and can do that. And and some guys like me are just very one sided. I have a hard time. Uh, I have driven school buses and mowed yards and everything, so I could preach. But but to keep a regular secular job where I'm going in nine to five here and then trying to preach and do my other work, that was always difficult for me. So I admire uh, guys like you, Dave, that have been able to do the the tent making work and, and help these churches. Well, there's it, it it's a struggle. I mean, balancing the two, um, Elmer, it, it's very difficult because it's almost uh, you know do a little bit, but it's almost filling the pulpit. It's not. Because it's you know, you know, forty forty five miles away, and so that that is a struggle there. Um, well, you told us how you got to Elmer, and Elmer's a very small congregation in a in a town that there's just not a whole lot left of, and, and population is because it's it's really it's not on dirt roads, but they're they're paved county roads basically up and, and down and windy and. Yeah. And random amounts, and, and I, I actually drove into, and I'm, I'm putting this in parentheses or, or in quotations here. I drove into town last night, as because the church is on on the side of town that we drive in from where we're staying, and we got there early enough to with us. Let's go see what there is to see, and 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 Elmer, and Elmer's like a lot of towns we go to, 
and I, I saw what I pretty much expected to see, and, and uh, uh, a lot of the buildings are, are falling down in town, and, and what was the, what would have been the business district at one time, and, and uh, yeah, at one time it was a very, it was a busy town, uh, a lot of these towns were very busy towns, but you know, the jobs aren't here like uh, they are in the bigger cities. If you want to, you know, you've got to go do some traveling if you want to make anything, you know, if you're not agricultural influenced in one way or the other, you, you've got to, for the factory jobs, they're just not here. Right. Uh, and Now, it's interesting, though, uh, I, I'd like to see the, you know, the, the effects of what COVID has done because a lot of professions now have been able to, they've learned that they can, work them at home. Right. And I'm interested to see as time progresses and we move out of that, that, that period of time, if those jobs won't prompt people to move back to more rural areas where they can have a little more elbow room, um, where the crime rates are near as high. Uh, yeah. But on the flip side of that, a lot of people like the benefits of being in town where you have all these other whole... Like going to the movies, uh, you know. Yeah, we have a movie theater, but you know, there's selections different. Right. You know, we we've got to travel 12 miles to go to McDonald's. Right. So, uh, we're, you know, I don't know. Well, Elmer, it's a beautiful setting driving out to Elmer, and the scenery is beautiful. If you want to live in a con- in, in the country, Missouri is a beautiful state to live in, and and mm-hmm. and that whole area around Elmer, and, and here in Clarence too, is just a beautiful area. But uh, I, we were recently, well, it was last fall, we were at a church, another church in Missouri, uh, a, a pretty pretty large church for a very small town. And uh, a, one of the men had moved back there to help his father with the farm, but he worked for a big company in Texas. And because of COVID, I want to say it was Houston. I could be wrong. It might have been Dallas. But uh, because of COVID, he had to work from home. And finally, he contacted his company and said, if I, if, if I can continue to work from home, I'd like to move back to Missouri and help my family with the farm. And they said, go ahead. And he's moved back, and he's a real asset to their church. We, In fact, he was teaching Sunday school, and uh, Greg and Lori and Beth and I were all there, and we were just uh, blown away by his ability to teach Sunday school. It was great. And so that, yeah, you're laughing. It wasn't Philip by any chance. Uh, what town are you thinking of? Yes, it was. <laughs> I figured as much. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, so we were... Uh, I was really impressed with that idea, and what you're saying is true. Uh, and some men who have done some preaching who are working in the corporate world could possibly look at moving to a small place like Elmer and being the preacher for Elmer and still working for their corporation. And I tell you, our, so many churches, I say our churches, not speaking of Christian churches, Church of Christ, but let's be honest, all across the board, churches are hurting in this country and uh and small town churches are hurting and if someone can move there and can preach um uh, uh that then and and they're they're good doctrinally solid people then then we need to take the opportunity and, and look at uh and guys who are in their 40s 50s could possibly be looking at, at a second uh I use the term career for ministry but but I'll use that term that's well, even like myself. That really, I I I'll be able to retire from a secular job, in just under three years, and that's okay. something. 
I, I'll be able to retire and I'll have a pension. I won't need a full-time income from a church. Right. Uh, and I think there, that's, there's a certain advantages to that where maybe resources can be directed in a different way or a different place and where, you know, you, you don't have to worry about the benefits, the uh, a retirement package or a health care package. Right. So all those are taken care of. And so, and I, I'll be, what, 52 years and seven months when I can retire. Wow. So, you know, I could potentially have a good 20 years afterwards. Well, I have a, I have a friend who's uh, held a revival for in Wyoming recently, and he just started in ministry after uh, retiring. Uh, first time, he had to go back to work for particular reasons, but he's still preaching at church uh, from the highway department in Colorado. And he just called me up and, and said, Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach. And uh, he just wanted to talk about it with me and ended up in Wyoming and uh, is doing great for them. He has to go back to Colorado uh, during the week right now just because of circumstances. Sure. But, but he is preaching for this church in Wyoming. And and I think, too, I remember a man in in, uh, in our town, in Corinth, Mississippi, some years back, we, we have several Christian churches in our area. One of them is on right on the Tennessee-Mississippi state line. And matter of fact, the parsonage is across the street from the church. Churches in Mississippi, and the second step of the porch on the parsonage, you go you go into Tennessee. <laughs> and but they they wanted this man to preach, and he was definitely retired, and asked him to come and. And they were going to pay him, and all they—they, they, I think at the time they could pay two hundred fifty dollars a week. And people listening who are not preachers think that's, well, that's outrageous. But a lot of preachers, and there's some of them who are trying to do it full time on much on, on not much more than that, and because they, that's what they want to do. But he said, "I'll come and be your preacher." Now this was a country church that didn't do a lot of advertising. You know, they just out there. Uh, I mean, really, really country. And he said, "I will not take." pay but this is what i want this is my agreement that 250 dollars a week that you're going to pay me that i am allowed to use that to promote the church in any way i want oh wow and they allowed that and he did some research and discovered that it's a growing area it's near pickwick lake which is a big recreational lake. a lot of houses around there. he discovered i think in the area around the church uh within about five miles there are like seven or 12,000 houses. And, but you just wouldn't know because it's wooded. And, sure. and, and so he started doing mailers and one thing and another, and it really helped that little church. What time? He wasn't there a long time, but, uh, so, but he did a lot of good that way. Well, how many of those people didn't even know they were there? Yeah, well, that you wouldn't because uh, it's not even on the main road. It's right in the corner of, of Three counties, two Mississippi counties and and a, a Tennessee county, and it's on state line road. Well, you would think that what I said, but you're going up a very country highway to, to get off the main highway, which is a country highway. You turn on a on a squiggly country highway, and then turn off of that onto state line road. It's been there since pre Civil War. There are Civil War uh, dead buried there in the cemetery. Oh. And and uh, so, really interesting. But with all that in mind, I think you've got a few more years here, and and here you are. You're 
you're now preaching in Clarence, which is just, uh, the church is about 70 or so now. Um, how did you get from Elmer to Clarence and still preaching at Elmer? So tell us about that story. That, that's got to be pretty interesting. Well, I don't know if it's so, so interesting. They, <laughs> they, they'd been without a preacher for roughly, roughly a year, and they had a couple professors from the Bible college coming up. And uh, filling in, and, and uh, um, different things were going on. But anyway, they, they started their minister search. And I, I really wasn't thinking too hard about just, like I said, I was that close to retirement. The idea of going full-time is, is something that, that uh, you know, I'd, maybe a thought, I'd thought of years before, you know, we when right. I had a significant amount of time left, but I was like, this, this close, it's not something that's I sure. just, not viable, uh, or what I don't think is viable. Well, you'll be able to do ministry even better if you can wait through your retirement. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly what I was kind of thinking. But anyway, uh, one of the professors, uh, he approached me, he said, um, your name keeps coming up a lot and uh, in regards to the ministerial. I was like, well, I'm flattered, but you know... <laughs> uh, and uh, he said, is that something you would consider doing? And I said, well, and I, I explained the situation where I was at. And uh, then I, uh, we're in the process of now of looking for somebody. But um, what we'd like to do is, uh, is hire another, you know, have two part-time people. I'd really like to have a student from the Bible college coming up. We can put them up in the parsonage, uh, especially if they're married or something, take care of their housing. They have some salary while they're finishing up their schooling. And then ideally bring them on full-time once they graduated. And uh, then the bigger picture would be if we could have somebody with longevity, keep them here long enough that by the time I'm too old to do anything, uh, they could just step right into the shoes. And basically the church would have somebody that's grown up within the congregation, knows the congregation, and uh, it, then it'd be an easy transition. And right. So... You know, we've been in this area for 12, 13 years, and so we're very familiar with the people, the, the history of a lot of things that have happened within that time frame. And so, you know, we're, we're not walking into anything really blind. And if we have an associate that moves into the full-time where they've grown up within the congregation, they wouldn't be blind either. Right. And then I'd like to see them do the same thing, is that they could bring in, mentor uh, somebody new coming in and to the point where, you know, by the time they are no longer able to stand in the pulpit or sit in the pulpit or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, they could fill, you know, they have their next replacement. And so, you know, in theory, you'd never hire a senior minister ever again. Right. And uh, in paper, it sounds real good. In reality, it's very difficult. Well, you, one of the benefits of, of the Christian church, Church of Christ, one of the blessings is that we are totally independent. Each congregation is independent. And uh, not only is it a, a blessing and a benefit, it, it's biblical, I believe, mm -hmm. to, to be autonomous congregations. But one of the negative things about our congregations is we're autonomous. <laughs> and we have no hierarchy, which again, would be unscriptural, but in some ways is beneficial because you have somebody who can say, I know this person and they've, they've been overseeing things, but then you get into doctrinal things and liberalism and one thing or another, and it's it's not biblical. So I've said all that to get to the point of, of that 
because the way our congregations are scripturally organized, when we get a preacher, a lot of times we have no idea of their background, and the preacher has no idea of the background of the church, and you don't know if you're a fit until a year or two into your your ministry there, if it's really going to work. Well, I tell you, that's something else we, we did, was, uh, and we were both in agreement with this, is when I started, I started in May, but it was with this agreement, let us try this for 90 days, and then after 90 days, evaluate and uh, see where, and if it's not working for me or if it wasn't working for another congregation, we'll just, we'll, you know, part ways and it'll be just that. Right. And um, uh, we, we got to August and they went, they, they had a vote and, uh, well, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't remember. It was an unbelievable, I, I think there was only four no votes in the Right in that, um, which to me was positive. Yeah, and uh, there have been ever really. It's been interesting. Actually, it's been mind blocking, uh, or mind blowing. Excuse me. Uh, the the things that have happened with this congregation, actually both congregations. Uh, you know, Elmer, uh, we went to the evening services uh, so I could preach here on Sunday morning, and uh, almost immediately we doubled our attendance. Wow, that's and great. Then. Uh, here, uh, people have, you know, it, it's taken a little bit more time, uh, but uh, the, <clears throat> the numbers have improved. But beyond the numbers, the unity that's starting to happen, and people are coming together, they're working together, uh, they're, you know, getting involved in the work of ministry. And right. that's that's where uh, I'm, I'm seeing this, and I'm just tickled pink to see it. Uh, the, these people coming together and working together, and uh, they're reaching out. Uh, we've had one member baptize their neighbor. Uh, to me, that's mm. if I never step foot in a ba- uh, baptistry because the people are too busy baptizing their neighbors. I, <laughs> I, I, Wouldn't I, that be a wonderful thing? Oh, yes. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm excited about that. Right. And so uh, the Missouri Christian Convention went to that, and it's been years that I've gone there. In fact, it would have been in Bible college. Uh, the last one I went, but they had the the um, you know they they went off the theme about the uh, who's who's my neighbor. Uh, yeah, I saw that, and that's you know, and of course that was the Samaritan and and uh, taking over or helping that fellow that you know you know we don't talk, right? And really, it brought the idea forward that uh, that you know who is my neighbor, and the easy answer is well everyone's my neighbor, and. But what what came forward too that it struck me is, what about my neighbor neighbor the actual guy next door? How often mm-hmm. do I actually you know short of waving to him and you know some niceties or do I really get involved and find out okay what is what is their joys what are their pains what are their sorrows what are their hurts what are their you know uh, how many kids they have and what are the kids involved in uh, right you know where we actually take a um, oh what do you talk a uh, interest in somebody else right and if you take an interest because people like to talk about themselves sure uh, but if we start learning from each other and then uh, well what's different about this person and you know they start looking at you and and uh, what what you know why are they happy why why can they have a smile on their face even when life is just you know a wreck yeah uh, because we all have times of trouble you know, Jesus said we never, you know, he, he never promised that better. I like that one 
versus uh, you know, in, in this trouble you or in this world you will have trouble. And I like what the right. King James says when he says, uh, or New King James, uh, take heart. Others would say, take courage. I've overcome the world. Right. Well, we can have that courage. We know that we're going to have times of trouble. And uh, it may be a whole lifelong deal, but we can take courage that, A, this life is just temporary. And then uh, we've already had a conqueror that uh, has overcome it. Our devotional, Beth and I had today, uh, was talking about that the struggles that we're going through and the, uh, the pain and the hurt and uh, maybe the mental or the physical health situations that we're going through that... Uh, God is bringing us through those to perfect us, to make us uh, better, and to understand Him and to know Him better. And sometimes those lonely times that we have are times that that where we feel lonely is our opportunity to get to know God better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about the time I spent eight, seven days in the hospital, uh, seven or eight days in the hospital with pneumonia, almost dying, and that was some of the closest time I had with God. We just had some wonderful conversations during that time. And, and, uh, and that's been 22 years ago. I've never forgotten that. And, and uh, uh, as we struggle with whatever it is, with our family, with our, with, with our careers, or whatever, that we, these, are, these are opportune times to spend with God. And, we, and rather than walk around... Looking down, we could spend our time looking up. Yeah, and uh, I think that's that's so true. And so you moved you moved from Sunday morning to Sunday night in Elmer, and that helped. Yeah, that that helped, didn't it? Well, I think overall it helped everybody. Right. Uh, because <clears throat> well, there there's um, rural agricultural type, and there's things that they needed to do there in the morning that was always right. a rush on Sunday morning. Where now they take a little bit more time, and they've got more time in the evening, and uh... well, you know that that's I found in in services. My last three ministers, we had multiple um, morning services, and you had the ones who came the early service, who had to go and take care of family in the afternoon, maybe elderly family, or they they had jobs, shift work, yeah. or they worked at restaurants, and which you didn't have, you know, forty years ago, forty fifty years ago. But they would come to that, and they never ever attended the second service. Second service people, some of them, uh, of course, some of them like sleep late, but others, uh, they had work to do. They they lived on small farms, and they had work to do there, and this worked out best for them. And I remember when we went in one church where we went to multiple services, uh, we had several complaints, including my associate ministers. Well, you're just doing this for convenience. I said, well, yes, and if we keep the later service and don't do anything else, it's for your convenience, isn't it? <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, everything has got a little bit of convenience to it, but it also, it's putting another hook in the water. We're fishers of men. And if you have, if you go fishing with one pole, you're going to catch a few fish, but you put a trout line out, more hooks in the water. That's why I think multiple services, and, and if, you're, if you're just in one church and you can have a Sunday night service, um, we are, we were visiting one church with a young preacher holding a revival, and he was telling Beth about an innovative idea he had. He's going to have Sunday night services. <laughs> and I, we always had Sunday night services wherever I was at, but uh, we always had a separate sermon, a different sermon on Sunday night. But I think now I would consider if I was going to a church that only had one service and we were growing, uh, I would 
as I went to multiple services, I think one I would add would be a Sunday evening service, and it would be the same sermon to reach, to put another hook in the water. You know. We do a Thursday night here at Clarence. Yeah. And um, I do a separate sermon on that one because most of the audience that comes on Thursday nights is also there on Sunday morning. Right. And, but what I've done, too, is, uh, well, for example, we're just closing up a series in Luke on Sunday morning, and, but we uh, Thursday evening we started out in Genesis, and I, actually we started with Kings and Conquest, and then backed up and right. rebooted and started out with Genesis. Uh, and, uh, well, boy, get my series messed up. Uh what we did was the first 11 chapters of Genesis Sunday morning before we started into Luke. That put us right in the Christmas season. Well, okay. I picked up from that Genesis 11 on Thursday night and moved forward through Genesis there. And, and uh, so... I'm, so it's a preaching service on Thursday night. Yes. I think that's a great idea. I, I, I think that is just... Uh, well, one thing, it, it opens the door to people who either don't go to church... Or they're in, uh, maybe they're in denominations and they're not really happy with the direction their denomination is going and they they don't really want to leave on Sunday morning. Um, So here's this guy preaching. Let's go see if he uses the Bible. It's a great opportunity. Well, that's, I like the idea, but, and and especially the ones that work shift work or, or anybody that works, you know, that. You know, they've got to work on the weekends or something, and they'll have a, a day off during the week or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if we've not advertised well enough. It, yeah. We just we haven't been able to reach that community yet. Uh, and I say yet because the potential's there, and we've got some leads that we're working on. But uh, just, you know, I, I hate to give it up because I, I like that being available. Because uh, if you don't do anything, you're not. You, That's right. If if you don't do anything, then you're not going to get anything. Yeah, you're not going to have any results. I, I was thinking that my home church—I call it my home church. I only spent a couple of summers there. It's where I was converted, though, in Corth, Mississippi, uh, where my grandfather was the preacher. Their Sunday night services they called uh, the Sunday night evangelistic services. Now he was an evangelist, and he always preached evangelistically Sunday morning. But they put even more emphasis, and people worked harder at getting their non-Christian friends there for Sunday night. It was more like a revival service, and the Wednesday night service was what. Well, remember what we used to we used to call it prayer meeting. Uh-huh. It was prayer meeting night, and they had a special prayer time. But Grandpa didn't teach; he preached again because that was his gift was preaching. Uh, he was a good teacher, but he was a better preacher. And so, when he got to speak, he did teach a Sunday school class. But uh, on Wednesday, he preached again, and people brought friends in to hear. Brother Fred preach, and to hear, and it was not uncommon to have baptisms. Uh, well, he baptized throughout the week, and I, I always have too. That has just always been my thing. But, but it was not uncommon to have baptisms on Sunday night and Wednesday night as much or more than you would on Sunday morning at, at that church. But it is maybe maybe a little more promotion. Maybe you may have given some ideas here to some other men uh, that are are even turning their Wednesday night service if it's. If it's died down to, to a handful of people in a in a Bible study, maybe turn it into a preaching service. Uh, maybe a little different than Sunday morning. Turn it into more of an outreach preaching service. Well, that's something I've been thinking about. It's actually moving it to a Wednesday night when we have the youth group. Yeah. And uh, 
that way it does two different things. We still have an evening service. But you got something to bring in more family members. Right, right. So idea, mom yeah. and dad might, you know, drop them off or, or uh, you know, okay, well, the kids are doing this. Well, I don't have to go anywhere. I mean, there's something here maybe. Uh, We're just doing some brainstorming now, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> and I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, uh, our time is just about running out anyway. Uh, anything else you want to... You want to throw out here, add to our conversation today? Well, I sure appreciate you, uh, Rock Solid. All, all. You, you guys have come, and it, it you know, you, you'll come to small little churches and medium and, and larger churches. I just really appreciate your flexibility to do that, and it gives us the opportunities where we wouldn't have had that before. And I really, both you and Greg and Lori and, and Beth, all of you, just, you know, your top notch in my book. Well, uh, I, we appreciate that. Thank you. Unsolicited, I want to say that, but we do appreciate it very much, uh, and appreciate you. I, um, it's 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 rare nowadays to run into somebody with work with a work ethic like yours, Dave. And I, I I'm really uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, one of my sermon series and uh, Elisha. I talk about why did they choose Elisha? Why did God choose Elisha? Well, he was out in the field working. And uh, one of the remarks I make is, you know what you get when you hire a lazy minister. When you hire a, when you, when a la- you hire a lazy man to be your minister, you get a lazy minister. Something like that. But anyway, uh, if you find somebody who is working and working hard, uh, then you can pretty much consider that if you hire them to minister, they're probably going to work hard at that too. You know, uh, they they have a, it's a work ethic and and that we just don't see so much anymore and I appreciate that uh, I mean my goodness you're two churches and a secular job and seven let me say that again to our our, our listeners seven children and and uh, uh, my goodness and a uh, and and a wonderful wife Anne that just uh, is is so supportive uh, <laughs> and it is a long way to Elmer, and she was there with one of the kids last night, and I know that can't happen all the time because uh, because kids in school, uh, and she's very, you know, she's involved here in Clarence. And oh, you live she here. does. She works for Head Start. She works for Ray of Hope. Uh, both those, and I say work for Ray of Hope, but it, she works, but she also puts a lot of extra time in for them right. uh, with the, the uh, pregnancy center there. Wow. And she's also does works with children with youth here at church. Is that and correct? She does that, yeah. So she's so. she's very involved in Clarence, and it's uh, can't always make it the the long drive on Sunday nights with school the next day and work the next day and things. But yeah. but very supportive. I was just uh, so pleased that she was able to make it last night, and I know that it was it's not always easy. So well, sweet I sweet like lady, her. she is. She is. <laughs> I, I like her. I'm rather fond of her. Well, uh, if you're probably like me. I always say that. Two reasons I'm the minister I am today, if, if you think I'm a good one to our listeners, is because of, of Jesus Christ and Beth Weaver. <laughs> and, and, uh. Yeah, no, yeah. I just, yeah, no, if it wasn't for Ian, I wouldn't be sitting here. Right? Uh, well, if that's all we've got, I, I, it's been a good conversation. I've really enjoyed it, Dave, and I, I appreciate you taking time. Uh, this is Monday is the one day you don't have to go in to do your other secular job and you've taken time out and, and you're doing it in between other things you had to get done today. So I appreciate you taking time for us. And I'd say to our listeners, if this has uh, 
been helpful to you or an encouragement to you. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. <laughs>